You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Evert, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 19. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 20, verses 46 through 47, and chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to go about in long robes and love salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow put in two copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all the living that she had. Having said this, he proclaimed, He who has ears, let him hear. Father, Jesus begins this passage by highly criticizing the scribes and referencing their desire for attention and stature and and their superficial acts of piety. And our culture today is probably not that far removed from this type of behavior. In fact, I'm, I'm quite certain that it's much worse. And that said, how should Christians guard against this type of behavior? Honestly, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much we could discuss. Uh, So I'll just begin by saying I'd push back a little about the scribes being superficial. I think in this respect, saying the scribes were superficial makes it almost sound like they were insincere, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Why do you think that? There's certainly the possibility that some of them were insincere, and there's also the possibility that some of them, maybe even many of them, did what they did for the praise of men, because they wanted to be highly respected by others. But I think there's also something more there, something we probably all struggle with today, and I would say especially Orthodox Christians, and that is thinking that outward piety is what God desires. Yeah, like you said, certainly a lot there that we could discuss. So let's start with the first thing that you said and and what I said, the aspects that are superficial or done for what you said was the praise of men. And you seem to agree this was likely the case for some of the scribes at least, so maybe you can unpack that a little more. Absolutely. And I think that part dovetails nicely with last week's episode. Last week we discussed how the suffering of Christ and the suffering of Christians, according to the Bible, is not primarily about physical suffering, but the willingness to suffer shame for the teaching of Christ, for standing up for and with the poor and outcast and needy. And I really can't stress enough how important it is to understand this concept. It really changes a person's whole worldview, changes our understanding of Christianity, of the gospel, of religion, and of life in general. And of course, Jesus condemns the scribes and the Pharisees and how they desire and accept what he calls the praise of men. In other words, they like it that people respect them and consider them to be pious. And the teaching of Jesus is clear. If you're praised by people here on earth, then you've received your reward, and you will not have a reward in heaven. So the teaching of Jesus is one that leads us away from doing things for the sake of being respected, to be praised by others, to be considered as greater than others. And I guess what I really want to steer away from is this. 
People who read the New Testament today tend to think of the scribes and the Pharisees as, quote, the bad guys. And the reason for that is that Jesus constantly condemns them. But I think we need to understand that in Jesus' time, they were not considered to be bad guys. In fact, they were considered to be pious, righteous, and moral people. So Jesus' relentless attacks against them are one of the main reasons he gets himself in hot water, so to speak. And we need to understand that because we need to understand today that the enemies of the gospel are not the outsiders we hear so many Christians complain about, but rather the ones who appear to live moral and pious and righteous lives within the Christian community, but who do not show mercy and compassion and grace on those who are struggling and those in need. So we have to be careful of those within our community who love to appear righteous because this was not the teaching of Christ. And that kind of leads into the second point that I mentioned earlier. Yes, and that second point, if I'm not mistaken, was to discuss the idea that we often think outward piety is what God desires. Correct. And that's a real trap for human beings. And I think the reason that's a trap for us as Christians is because living a true biblical life is something one cannot objectively or externally measure. And, and what exactly do you mean by that, Father? Well, a person can't measure objectively how much mercy they're showing to their neighbor. I mean, there's no measurement or weight to that. I can't say I'm showing one foot of mercy or 70 miles of mercy. For most of us who at least try to show compassion with others, there's always a part inside of us, I think, that questions if we're showing enough. You know, because sometimes we get tired of, of people's bad behavior or things with which we disagree. So we start to question if we're really being merciful to them or if we're going as far as we should in showing mercy. And that's difficult for us because we want to be able to say we are. But deep down, we often know that we can do better. So how is that different from more measurable or external acts of piety? Those external acts are either measurable or objective. For example, I can say I did my morning and evening prayers today and I can feel good about myself as though authentic biblical spirituality were a checklist. I can say I fasted from meat and dairy every day during Lent and then feel as though I'm somehow worthy when we get to Pascha when it's time to break the fast because I checked this item off the list. But authentic biblical spirituality is not like that. How do I know I showed enough love towards my neighbor? Maybe I was really kind to the person who lived next door to me, but Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan defines your neighbor as anyone you see in need. Am I really going out of my way all the time to help people I see in need? Do I ever avoid or ignore them? How do I know it was enough? You see, when we follow the biblical teaching, we cannot say for sure that we did X, Y, and Z sufficiently. So we tend to prefer this more outward spirituality, some things that we can say for sure that we did. But notice the position you're in if you follow the unmeasurable internal aspects of piety in the gospel. And what is that? You're in a position of requiring mercy because you're not 100% certain that you accomplished what you know you need to accomplish. So you require mercy before the judgment seat of Christ. You have to rely on him. You have to put your faith and trust in him which, of course, is the essence of the New Testament. When you follow something more external like the scribes, you can trust in yourself because you checked off all the boxes. But this approach is, of course, antithetical to the gospel. And then just one final thing on this checking off the boxes, this being able to measure. 
Another part of this would be tithing. In fact, that's probably the ultimate checkbox thing that we can do. It's easily measurable. You either give 10% of your money or you don't. And if you do that, you can feel proud about yourself and still ignore your needy neighbor because you feel like you've done everything you need to do by paying your tithe. But Father, that actually leads into my final question. So in, in contrast to the rich in this passage who give out of their abundance, the widow in her poverty gives all that she has. What is the importance of this observation by Christ, and what can we take from this passage and apply to our own approach toward giving? Remember the passage we discussed on an earlier episode that corresponds with this story to some degree, and that is where Jesus tells the rich man that if he wishes to be perfect, he should give all he has to the poor and come follow Jesus. So this story is similar in the sense that you hear this poor widow gave all that she had and is thus commended by Jesus. But Jesus' use of the widow here in this story has a deeper meaning that we can only fully understand in the context of the time, and that in turn highlights a consistent theme throughout the Bible. Father, please uh, do explain what you mean here. Yeah, so a widow in the time of Jesus was unprotected. In those days, a woman didn't have equal rights like we think about today in in modern-day America. A woman was always under the protection, legally speaking, of a man. At first, of course, it was her father. After that, he transferred her. And I'm saying it in this way because it's the way it was viewed in the time. He transferred her as property to a husband. So a woman was always to be under the protection of a man. And that's why it was so damaging during the time of Christ to divorce a woman. You were leaving her unprotected. She would have been viewed very negatively at that time, like uh, damaged goods, so to speak. And similarly with a widow, if there was no one within the family who would take her in, she was in a precarious situation. And that's why St. Paul mentions at one point that the church is to take care of those, as he said, who are truly widows. In other words, those who are not being legally protected by a man. So how does that relate to some of the broader biblical themes you mentioned earlier? Well, what I'm getting at is this. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see this notion of sacrificial giving, or perhaps I would say it better as hopeful giving. Now, these two terms probably usually are synonymous, but there's a slight difference. Sacrificial giving means you're giving up things. You're making a sacrifice in terms of your needs or at least your desires in order to give. Hopeful giving, as I'm calling it, is a step further. Hopeful giving means that you give of your necessity, or at least that you give up front, trusting that God will provide for you after the fact. And that's exactly what this widow did. As I said, she was unprotected in her society, and Christ says here in this story that she was poor. So that means she didn't know when she might receive more money, but she gave nonetheless. And that is the biblical ideal, hopeful giving giving up front, not knowing where your next dime might come from, but trusting in God that he will provide for you nonetheless. Father, you said this theme of sacrificial giving, or perhaps better yet what you termed as hopeful giving, is seen even in the very beginning of the Bible. Can you tell us a little more about that? Of course. I'll give you an example from the opening chapters of Genesis here in a minute. But before that, I want to mention that the notion of tithing is based on this hopeful giving. How so? The tithe is based on what is called the first fruits. What that means in ancient society is that you pay the tithe from the first fruits that bloom. 
And the significance of that is that you don't know with certainty that the rest of the fruits or the rest of the crop will produce. So if you give away your first fruits as a tithe, then you're operating on hope. You're trusting in God that the rest of your crop will not be destroyed or will not produce. Again, you are giving away what you initially receive, and you're trusting that God will provide in the future. Now, in terms of an example of this, I would turn to the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4.4, we're told that God respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And there's absolutely no explanation given as to why this is the case, so uh, sometimes people are confused about it. But the verses before that, verses 3 and then again the first half of verse 4, if you understand the rest of the Bible, then you see exactly why God respects Abel's offering but not Cain's. And specifically, the passage says that in the process of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to God. Now with Abel, on the other hand, it says very precisely that he brought of the firstborn of his flock. So you see two things here. Most clearly, you see that Cain did not bring the first fruit, while Abel did. You know, the firstborn in this case, uh, which is the same thing as the first fruit. And related to that, the saying, in the process of time, as it relates to Cain's offering, seems to indicate that Cain did not give on the basis of hope and trust, but waited until he made sure he had enough, and then he gave his offering to God. So to sum it up, the moral of the story here and throughout the Bible is that we are to give on the basis of hope. We give up front, trusting in God to provide down the road, not waiting to make sure we can take care of everything ourselves before we decide to chip in a little. Great discussion today, Father. Thank you. We began today's episode by correcting our understanding that God desires our outward acts of piety. While it is easy to fall into the trap of desiring respect from others as a result of our piety, we must remember that Jesus taught us that if we are praised by people here on earth, then we have received our reward and will not receive a reward in heaven. Father Aaron clarified for us that, contrary to what is commonly thought of today, the scribes and Pharisees were actually well respected in their time. They were seen as pious, righteous, and moral people. And in our present time, we have people within the church who fit this same mold, who love to appear to be righteous and moral, but fail to show mercy and compassion to those who are struggling and in need. In our desire to be able to measure our own progress toward salvation, we often look for a checklist as a way for us to demonstrate, both to ourselves and to others, that we are righteous. One of the most common ways for us to check the box is by tithing. It's easy to measure. We either do it or we don't. Father stressed that in tithing, there is both sacrificial giving and hopeful giving. Our goal is for the latter, to give from our first fruits, trusting in God that he will provide for our needs. Thus, if we are to follow the biblical teaching, we must follow the immeasurable and internal aspects of piety found in the gospel. This, in turn, puts us in a position of requiring mercy before the judgment seat of Christ. We must rely solely on him, putting our faith and trust in Christ. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia.